Okay, today we're going to finish up the book of Ruth. You know, there's an old TV commercial that I saw. I've been watching old movies. And a lot of the old movies, they have the old TV commercials with them. Who remembers this one? Membership has its privileges. I love that TV commercial. You know, it's for the credit card. And it just went to show if you were a member of this uh, credit card organization, that there were privileges all over the world that you would enjoy. But you know, that statement is very, very true. Membership does have its privileges. And if you look at today's story, we're in Ruth chapter 4. We are finishing up this little bitty story about a woman from another country who came and saw the grace of God at work in her life. So we've come to the climax of the story of Ruth in chapter 4. She has petitioned Boaz to be her redeemer, to be the one for her who will bring her back from widowhood and will give her a future. He tells her that I will do this, but I am not the closest one. I don't have the immediate right to go ahead and redeem you. There is another, and I will speak to him tomorrow, and tomorrow this issue will be settled. Going home, Naomi says to her, hey, you wait and see, because this man, this good man, he will not rest until this issue is resolved. Isn't it good to know that God is always with us right up through the fruition of all that we do? And so today I want to talk about this. Righteousness has its rewards. If membership has its privileges, righteousness has its rewards. We are in Ruth chapter 4 verse 1. The first thing I want you to see about righteousness is this. Righteousness, righteous actions involve risk. Righteous ask actions involve risk. Whenever you do the right thing, you always risk people taking it the wrong way, or you risk people trying to take advantage of you. All right, Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz called him by name and said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took the men of the town, the men's elders, and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the land of Moab, is selling a piece of land that belongs to our brother Elimelech. Now he's laid it out, but now watch what he says. I thought I should inform you. Now this is a phrase that has a lot of meaning to it. If you just read this in English, it sounds like he's just talking to him out loud. But the picture here is of two men drawing close. In fact, the picture is of lifting the side of your turban over your ear and whispering into another man's ear. This is private conversation. So he said out loud to everybody, Naomi's returned. She has to sell the land that belonged to Elimelech. And there's something I need to tell you. So he draws him close. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do so. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so, so that I will know. Because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am the next to you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take the right of redemption because I cannot redeem it. Interesting. What's happening here? Why would he want to buy this piece of land? Why did he act so quickly? Every Israelite man owned a piece of land. 
If that man died, the land could be sold to a near relative so that the family would have money. But it was not a permanent sale. Remember, that in Israel, there was something called the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, all debts were canceled. All land that was sold was returned to the family it came from. So what they would do is the price of the land would be worked out into how many years before the year of Jubilee. Let's say it's five years before the year of Jubilee. That means you can only own the land for five years. So the price you pay would be reckoned by how much profit you could get by taking this land, using it for five years to plant additional crops. See, it was meant to be fair. If you could only have the land for a year or two years, you would pay a very small price. Five years, 10 years, a bigger price. If it was the full length of time before the year of Jubilee, you would pay a tremendous price because you would be able to use that land for your entire lifetime. Now think about it, that's fair. So when he hears about the land, he says, aha, I definitely want it. So maybe it's quite a few years. Maybe it's 25 years until the year of Jubilee. So he can make a lot of profit off this land. That's why Boaz holds back just a little bit. And then he says, oh, by the way, when you get the land, you get Ruth the Moabitess. Now, this has a lot of implications. Remember, his responsibility as the Gawal is to give her a child, at least one child. That child will have the name of the dead husband. That child will then what? Inherit the land he just purchased when that year of Jubilee comes and the land goes back to him. Not only that, if she's a younger woman, as Ruth may have been, perhaps she was 23, 24, 25, she could have multiple children. In that case, all of those children would not only have claim on the land of the father, they would have a, they would have a claim on the land of the man who had married their mother. So let's say this near redeemer, let's say he already had a wife. He already had a wife and two kids. So the wife and two kids are his primary responsibility. Now, he brings another woman into the picture, first of all. That's marital suicide. Don't ever do that. That's a bad, bad idea. I'm just saying for our modern times, you know. But every child that Ruth has with this man, they then become an heir to his land as well. So now his two children don't get half each. They may get a fifth each and the other three kids get the others. You see how it works? He has a lot to worry about. He says, I will ruin my own inheritance. I will lose all that I have because it will be swallowed up by all these children this second wife will give me. When he thought he was getting land, it was easy. When he thought he was getting land and a wife and possible children, that changed everything. He wasn't willing to risk himself to fulfill God's law. And we all know what happens there. So he says, he whispers in his ear. Now, here's what you get, the land and the woman. Why did he whisper it? He didn't want to embarrass him publicly. He didn't want to embarrass him in front of all the elders. He has gathered the elders together to hear the transaction. Why? He needs witnesses. He needs witnesses to see that he has done the right thing. He has made it public what is happening and what they are talking about, but he's giving him a little bit of leeway. That's why he says this. He says in verse six, take my right of redemption because I cannot redeem it. 
At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make a matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. Why? Why did he take his shoe off? Simple. When the Israelites came into the land after they were set free, God said to them, everywhere that you put your foot, it will belong to you. That's why if you go to the desert in Saudi Arabia, there are thousands of footprints chiseled into the rock as a claim on the land. You know, for some reason, all that land right there where those footprints are, no one's ever looked at that. You know why? It's illegal to go there. You can't go see that. Because there's a law in Saudi Arabia. The first person to put their foot on a piece of land owns it forever. So if the Israelites were there before anybody else, who owns all of Saudi Arabia and its oil? Israel. Here he takes off that shoe because he wants to show that I have not put my foot on this property. I have not put my foot on this woman. I have not taken possession of her. In fact, here is my shoe to show that I will never put my foot onto this. I'm not going to put any seal of ownership. It's a way of totally turning it over to Boaz. And it's a way of doing it in front of everybody so that everybody knows exactly what's going on. All of this comes out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25. Let me read it for you very quickly so you get a very clear picture of exactly what these two men are doing. Deuteronomy 25, 7 through 9. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate and the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot, and spit in his face. Why? Why something so, so vicious? Because he is ignoring the word of God. He is basically saying, God has said I should do this, but I refuse to honor God's word. This was a serious thing. Now in this situation, the man removes his own sandal. Why? Because he is willingly turning it over to Boaz. Boaz has said, I will redeem her. I will redeem the land if you don't want to. So there is no shame, there's no spinning, there's no disgrace. There's just two men have made the decision. It is my right to own the land and the woman, but now I give that right to you, Boaz, because you have offered to step up and do the job. I will tell you this. God extends to many people the privilege of being his children, to be his sons and daughters, to inherit the kingdom of heaven. He extends to everyone, irregardless of where they are born, when they are born, what the color of their skin is, what their nationality is. God doesn't care. He only extends to you this privilege because of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you choose not to obey it, you reap the consequences. In the book of Deuteronomy, the man who would refuse to obey God was publicly humiliated and spit on so that everyone would know this man was a disobedient person. This man disobeyed God. Today, we don't do that. Today, we just say, well, I, um, I'm looking for God, but I can't find him. I'm agnostic. Agnostic is the word agnosia without knowledge. It means I'm stupid. I'm ignorant. 
And that's, it. that's an honest thing. A lot of people just don't know if there's a God. They don't know what's going on. Uh, ignorant has a very negative connotation in our society. But the word just means literally, I have no knowledge. And there's a lot of people who have no knowledge about God because they don't want to know. Here we have a situation where the guy knows his rights. He knows what he's supposed to do. But he also knows that his brother is willing to take the job for him. So he hands it over to him. See, Boaz has been very smart. I think Boaz wanted Ruth. He wanted a woman of integrity, a woman who was respected, a woman who worked hard, a woman who respected God. He wanted her for himself, but he had to obey the law. He had to let it happen. What was the risk? The risk was the man might have taken Ruth, might have said, you know, sure, I'll take the land and I'll take the woman too. In that case, Boaz would have to let her go. But Boaz allowed God to make that decision. He allowed God to influence the heart one way or the other. The Bible says that a man charts his course, but God picks the footprints he follows. You may think you have your life all worked out, but God can change the course of your life if you're willing to listen. Jesus tells the parable that there was a, a man. He said, I'm going to go to this country, and I'm going to spend a year there, and I'm going to work. I'm going to make a lot of money and come back and be very rich. Jesus said, this is the wrong way to think. What you should say is, if God is willing, I will go to this country. If God is willing, I will prosper and make money. If God is willing, I will return to my home and live a good life. But in each of those, the caveat is if God is willing. If God is willing, I will do it. If God is willing, I will find this person or that person, and I will have this home or that home, and I will find a way to make a living in the world. God makes a way for us, but he will also shape the destiny of those who trust him. Your life may not turn out the way you wanted to. Boaz didn't want a wife at the time he met Ruth, but he was so impressed by her, so impressed by the way she worked and the way she took care of Naomi, his heart became fond of her. And she became the kind of woman that he wanted to have in his life. And then when she offered for him to be the redeemer, I think he was flattered, he was blessed, but he had to do what was right according to the word of God. He had to give the other man the privilege. And God closed the other man's heart because of fear. So what happened? The other man was not blessed, but Boaz was. So every righteous action involves a risk. But also, too, Ruth 4.9, righteous risks always yield godly results. Righteous risks always yield godly results. Take a look at 4.9. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Mahlon, and I will, I will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, Mahlon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the dead man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his home. Now, basically what it says is this, I am going to honor all of God's word. Yes, I will redeem the land for whatever length of time before the, uh, the Jubilee. I will acquire the widow and I will give her as many children as God wills. And those children will bear the name of Mahlan, of her dead husband, so that his name will not disappear from Israel. And when the Jubilee comes, all that land that he acquires will go back, will go back to the child who bears the name of Mahlan. Isn't that amazing? 
He is going to get nothing out of this except the satisfaction of having fulfilled God's word, having fulfilled God's expectations, and having the pleasure of having this woman in his life that is such a godly influence. I think that's amazing to me. He knew what he would get. He knew what he would lose. But it was so worth it because of what he saw in her. It says this, you are witnesses today. The elders and all the people who were at the gate said, we are witnesses. May Yahweh make the woman who was entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. Two women married to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Two women who had the sons necessary to create the 12 tribes of Israel. These women were blessed and given conception by God so that Israel could have a nation, a nation of people who would bear witness to who he was and what he had done. Isn't that amazing? Everyone says, may God bless you for what you've done. You've done the right thing. Wouldn't it be great if every time we did the right thing, Somebody would say, God bless you for doing the right thing. God bless you for stepping up. God bless you for saying what you said at the time you said it. It's not always easy to do the right thing. It's not always easy to stand for the right issues or to stand up and, and take responsibility for what God's word says. But when we do it, it would be nice if somebody said, God bless you for it. And I'll tell you this, even though you don't see it, people see when you honor God. People will see when you honor God. You know, I had a guy come visit me this week, and he, he came to see me, and then he came to see me again, and I'm like, well, this is really weird. This, this is a great guy. It's a great guy. I know him. But he, he doesn't usually come for an hour and talk to me. And then he doesn't ask to have lunch with me. I mean, I've never been asked out to lunch by a guy, at least not since San Francisco. And it's, it's kind of a, an unusual thing. But see, I know him, and I know his girlfriend. And then he was telling me about what he's going through, and he's going through a hard time. And he's going through a hard time, and then his girlfriend comes the next day and says, he's going through a hard time. Now I'm worried about the kid. Now I'm worried that, that this young man's in trouble. But the thing is, she says, he seems to like talking to you. I said, well, doesn't he talk to anybody else? No. He doesn't get along with his family. They don't respect him. They don't support him. They're always trying to change him. And he doesn't really talk to anyone, but he wants to talk to you. And I thought to myself, self, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool when an old guy working in a grocery store can be a resource for a kid who's going through hard times. Is he a Christian? Probably not. Girlfriend's not. Is, is he... Does he have access to all kinds of help on campus? Yeah. Does he have access to people who are professionally trained? Yeah. Is he talking to me? Yeah. What a blessing to actually be useful in that capacity. And I said to this, may the Lord make the woman who enters your house like Rachel and Leah productive to have lots of children who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah and famous in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that Yahweh will give you by this young woman. My daughter was looking at a, a crossword puzzle for the book of Ruth, and she said, Dad, who's, who's this Perez? Oh, that's Tamar's kid. Who's Tamar? Tamar was a Canaanite. Talk about the most hated people in Israel. She was a Canaanite woman, and, and she married one of Judah's sons. Now, that son died 
early. And we don't exactly know why, but we think we know. Anyways, he dies early, and Judah's responsibility is then to take his second oldest son and give his second oldest son to Tamar so she can have children in the name of the oldest son. The second son says, no, I ain't doing this. No, I don't want any kids with this woman. It's my sister-in-law. Yuck. Then he refuses to go through with the act, and God strikes him dead for being disobedient. Now Judah goes, wait a second. Kid one, down. Kid two, down. I got one son left. I'm not giving him to her. So he disobeys God's rules, God's law. And he says to her, no, you can live in my house, but you're not having my third son. She goes out and she dresses herself like a prostitute, stands beside the road when she knows her father-in-law is coming home. This is where the Bible is descriptive and not suggestive. It's not suggesting that you ever do this, but it's saying this is what actually happened. Judah had some issues, but so did most of the Old Testament guys. So, okay, he's coming home. He sees this saucy girl on the side of the road. He picks her up. He takes her in. He does the thing that just baffles me to this day. He says, I can't pay you right now for your services. But here's my walking staff, and here is the signet ring to my family. And he gives them to her. He says, I will pick these up when I pay you for your services. Well, in, in, in a couple months, the guys drag Tamar in before her father-in-law, and he says, whoa, you are pregnant. How dare you get pregnant without a husband, and he's going to kill her. Because that's what you did back in the day. I mean, they, they had some issues. He's going to kill her. And he said, who's the man who did this to you? You know, because he wants to get him too. She pulls out his walking stick and his signet ring. She says, remember these, Dad? He goes, oh. And basically, what he says after that, and this is interesting, Canaanite woman, he says, you have been more righteous than I in this issue. So basically, he realized he should have given the third son. He should have fulfilled the law of God, but he didn't do it. Therefore, God found a way to bless her. She had children. She had Perez. And he became a great man, a powerful man. Judah married her, and, and, and she found a place in the lineage of King David. If you look in the lineage of Jesus, there are four women who are not Jews. Did you know that? I mean, everyone says, oh, you know, we can't marry those foreign people. Why not? Because basically, here we go, you have Rahab, the prostitute. That's how they refer to her. You have Tamar, then you have Ruth, and then you have the topper of all, you have Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite's wife. Four non-Israelite women in the lineage of Jesus. How amazing is that? How fantastic that God showed through the lives of his people, through the mistakes of his people, that he seeks to save all people. So I think that's just fantastic. And they actually say, may you be blessed. And they're talking about a woman who's a Moabite. May you be blessed like Perez, whose mother was a Canaanite. And everybody keeps forgetting Rahab, but that was another issue. So basically, they are saying, may you be blessed in the way these men were blessed because they were faithful to God. And you see, every time you are faithful to God, there are results. 
You may not, it may not be money, it may not be land, it may not be uh, some sort of success in business, but there will be blessings that come when you are faithful to God. Even if it's only some kid's girlfriend saying, he likes to talk to you. Talk about a blessing from just doing what I do, from just being me. And that's the opportunity we all have. We all have that opportunity of being a voice for God, of being an encouraging spirit, of being one who carries the gospel with us everywhere. But let's finish this thing up. So righteous actions always have risks. And you have to take the risks when you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second, those risks always have godly results. And finally, right here in verse 13, righteous results always include unforeseen blessings. Think about this. Ruth 14, 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he was intimate with her, Yahweh enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. She was married for like 10 years before. She didn't have any kids. Now she marries Boaz, an older man. And what happens? God gives her conception. Always go back to God. Then the woman said to Naomi, Praise Yahweh who has left you, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. The son was the highest of all things. The son was the highest of everybody in the family. That was the hope of the future. And Ruth is called better than seven sons. Better than seven sons. It says this, Naomi took the child, placed her on her lap, and took care of him. The neighbor woman said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. Great name for a kid, Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just to think that this simple act of marrying this woman, whom God blesses, has the right kid at the right time, becomes the predecessor of King David, the second king of Israel, but the first truly God-appointed king of Israel. You see, for us, it just shows us there are always these blessings. Now, did, did Ruth live to see David become the king? Probably not. She probably didn't live that long. She lived long enough. She had her son, Obed. She probably lived to see the birth of Jesse, but she probably did not live to see David become the king. But she was part of that lineage of blessing just as Rahab could not have known that she, her name would be spoken of in the lineage of the Messiah. Okay? It's just, she would never have known that. All she knew is that she was saved from the fall of Jericho by God's grace. And she was married into Israel because of her faith in Yahweh. And that to me is just fantastic. We live in a very interesting age. You realize it was just last Wednesday that we got a brand new president. It's only been a few days. And oh, what a few days it's been. You know what that means? The future is looking pretty bright. You know why? The future is not bright because Joe Biden's in the White House. That's not the reason it's bright. It's bright because God calls us to take risks in his name. It is bright because God says he will bring godly results out of our faithfulness. If we're faithful to those around us, faithful to our family, faithful to our marriages, faithful to our jobs, to do what is right and also to bear the name of Christ, Man, there will be unforeseen blessings that come on down the road. We have no idea what's going to come down in the next year or the next four years. But you know what? I'm ready to see what God's going to do. Amen?